Hey everyone, this is Ramoy Phillip from the Masculinity Podcast. If you can't tell by our title, we are definitely talking about Black Panther today, and there will be a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't seen Black Panther, maybe you should sit this one out. But if you have seen Black Panther, well then plug in your headphones, turn up the volume, and get ready for a great conversation about masculinity and the Black Panther. This is Samantha Zeppi. My name is Ramoy Killmonger. I don't have as many muscles as Michael B. Jordan, but I wish I did. Philip. <laughs> and this is masculinity. And uh, I mean, I mean, for everybody who's listening, it may it may sound that there's like a lag or Samantha's phoning in, and she is phoning in, and there is a lag. Because she's calling in from Wakanda. I am calling from Wakanda. It's glorious here. The technology is crazy. Yeah, what do y'all like? Ten k Wi-Fi? Do you even have to like log in? Like you're just there? No, it like scans like my presence and basically it knows what I'm trying to do and it just calls you automatically. Wow. The whole lab can hear me right now. It's unbelievable. Shout out to Wakanda. I, I need know. to get to Africa. Well, yeah, <laughs> that too. And it's funny because like I can't believe I didn't know about this. Like I just didn't. I mean. I like Marvel movies, but I don't, I I didn't really know about Black Panther, really. I didn't know that this was, like, a thing, and I can't, and I'm so happy that it is. And, like, I actually really want to read the comics now. Look, I don't, for anybody who knows me personally or who knows me virtually, I'm a hater, and I could give a shit about comic books, and I could give a shit about comic book movies. I mean, I did watch the X-Men, because when you're a kid, you absolutely had to love Wolverine. But outside of that... Mm-hmm. I don't really care. And, you know, these comic book movies that are kind of the same tired story of, uh, sorry to say, just white dudes or white heteronormative people flexing hard and having their struggle within themselves and struggle with fucking Magneto. Uh, I don't don't care. I'm over it. So, yeah, I've checked out on these movies a long time ago, but Black Panther actually had me really excited because I kind of understood it was a cultural moment and I trusted... Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan to have some strong subtext, if not just outright text, for the greater good. So it was exciting. Yeah, and I think it, it goes... First of all, shout out to Ryan Coogler, right? Because, I mean, he is... A part of a the Illuminati? <laughs> I mean, quite possibly so. I think... I mean, what he's been able to do... This is his third movie. He went from having a... I think he got a $900,000 or basically like a million-dollar budget for Fruville Station, and then did, I don't know how much of a budget he got for for Creed, but then apparently had like a 200 to $250 million budget for this one, which is apparently the biggest uh, the biggest budget ever allocated for, um, actually ever given to, to an African-American director. So shout-out to him. What I appreciated about the way that Ryan Coogler worked the aesthetic was that there was no gaze, right? It was like everybody was beautiful. Everybody's, everybody was, um, in French, we say mettre en valeur, which means like your best assets are at the forefront, essentially. And it was that way, but it wasn't objectifying. It was very humanizing in its, in its 
beauty and it, it you know it was basically what what movies should be i thought yeah i mean the movie was outright beautiful i mean i don't really care about watching cgi fake cgi people punch each other while falling through space even though that was very cool that wasn't my thing at all but yeah there was no tr- typical male gaze what really stood out to me uh what my hot take is which isn't a hot take at all because i think it's everybody's on board was that the the female characters were the most like interesting and dynamic and fun story and like halfway through the movie i was like all i care about is shuri like she's a movie star and i want this character to be in every movie i watch and just watching the women just stand out Exactly. And I think, I think, I mean, one of the things I, because I, I was definitely want to respond to what she just said. And I, like, the movie wasn't afraid to go there, I think. I mean, to your point about women just being super dynamic and super kind of re- relied upon, right, for the, for the well being of Wakanda, for the well being of everybody around them. It just showed tremendous unity and uh, strength and it was really just like a team effort which kind of like puts everything else on it puts puts this usual notion of the man being a superhero and everybody else just being uh, a supporting character on its head because it was really a cast of six lead characters I mean it was like you know of course you have King T'Challa right but everybody else like nobody is secondary in the story he can't exist without everybody else which I that was brilliant. But one of the other things that I just really want to quickly say before we get into our, our, you know, our conversation about masculinity is what I really appreciated about this movie was that for me, it answered a question that I had been asking myself since I moved to the United States and I was 11 years old. And maybe I never really realized so clearly that I had been asking myself that question, but I just appreciated the fact that Ryan Coogler was completely unafraid to really delve in this conversation of, you know, Africans of the continent and then Africans of the diaspora and what it looks like for us to confront our demons represented in King T'Challa and in Eric Killmonger, which, you know, I'm really excited to get into this conversation of like the ways that their masculinities were represented, but you know, for me, it was a very emotional and touching time because it was just a very personal, personal take and story. So. Yeah, you bring up a smart point, and that's that. And Kugler wasn't afraid to go there and make this movie that wasn't just an African American story, and it wasn't isolating as an African story. But this was about a historical diaspora that is very uh, entrenched in the American culture, but not talking about, not spoken about. It's only left to be politicized and not to be empathized with or not to be reinvested in and reinvigorated and reinvented. And it was really cool to see Kugler do that. And to make it such a part of the popular discussion is goddamn impressive. She's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so, Ramoy, I mean, I know we've talked about this a couple of times. I know that you said Shuri is your favorite character. Talk to me. Why is she your favorite? Uh, she's a fucking movie star. I mean, the way that she <laughs> was riffing with uh, T'Challa and, like, just being the little sister, but having so much fun on that screen. And not only, so Shuri, uh, if you don't know spoilers, but Shuri is T'Challa, the Black Panther's younger sister, 
but she's also like the James Bond's Q. Like she runs the whole technology outfit, and she's young, and she's a millennial, and she's the perfect adolescent because she's not scared, and everything is opportunity, and she can find solutions, and she's brash, and she's arrogant, and it's just so invigorating to see that not only in like a person of color character, not only in a female character. But in, to mix that all together and just to see her shine so bright on that screen, come on. Like, that was yeah. so fun. Yeah, I mean, she's she's quite amazing. And, like, she's essentially, I mean, Tony Stark is basically the Shuri of the rest of the world, right? Like, technologically, I mean, she is, like, unbelievable. Like, she essentially has the fate of Wakanda in her hands with the way that she's dealing with, uh, what's that stuff called? Vibramine or whatever it is. Vibranium. The Vibranium, thank you. Um, yeah, she's like, controlling the fate of uh, Wakanda because she's the person who actually like has figured out how to get it like, you know, tamed and, and all of that. And I really just appreciate their their the relationship that she has with her brother because I mean, first of all, one of the things actually that I'm wondering about is like, are we gonna see Shuri become Black Panther too too? Because apparently that's part of like the comic book story. Like she is Actually, she's been imparted with all of the characteristics and all of the. Um, she basically has everything that she needs to become Black Panther should T'Challa not be able to be, and I think that happens in the comic books. And I'm really wondering if if that's something that we'll see in the in the in the future. Um, but I mean, well, I mean, she, she can't I think, be who she is without her. So I think we should just ask Ava DuVernay if that's going to happen. <laughs> so Ava exactly. DuVernay, since in the comic books uh, Shuri is the next Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Well, are we going to see her as the next Black Panther? Exactly. Putting it out there. Did you Marvel. know that Ava DuVernay was um was uh, originally like going to be the director of this movie, and then decided to do Wrinkle in Time instead, and they got Ryan Coogler? I just found that out this morning. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I think I knew she was like she was on board, and she still served as a sort of consultant. So again, mm. Shuri, Ava DuVernay, Black Panther two. <laughs> I'm on board. Um, yeah, I know that you you mentioned before, like how awesome the women characters are, and I feel like we really can't like in terms of like leadership, right? And how leadership is something that's usually associated with masculine, like like masculine uh, characteristic in terms of strength and um, valor and uh, and um, like putting the Putting whatever is at stake, whether it's like the fate of a country or, you know, the fate of, uh, you know, a whole group of people, you know, um, it's always kind of attributed to like men leaders. And I really feel like Okoye, you know, being the greatest warrior that Wakanda's ever seen, completely flipped that on its head. Yeah, I mean, Okoye was probably, I say, I jokingly say Shuri was my most favorite, but Okoye was, Okoye, excuse me was, like, the most surprising character I'd seen in the sense that I would have never expected that the greatest warrior and the general who is supposed to guard, protect, and serve the country would be a female character with no male gaze, but is so powerful and so captivating on screen that I completely believed it. I was completely siding for her. in any sort of battle scene. Like I trusted that she would make the right decision and she would kick ass. 
And that was yep. just so much fun to be surprised by that. And it just sounds so sorry to say that I would have to be surprised by seeing a female being the true warrior on screen, but I was. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of the country will be and was as well. And what that does for the audience who may be outsiders is one thing, but then for watching that as an audience who is on the inside of that community to see that is a completely other thing, and that is exciting for both sides of the I area. agree. And, you know, what, what was... There's one particular scene, this is a spoiler alert, there's one particular scene for me that, I mean, there are a couple of scenes, but the scene where she, where her husband, played by Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Kaluuya, sorry, um, asks her, would you kill me, my love? And she said, with, she says, without, for Wakanda, without question. And it's crazy because he just kneels. He just sees, right? And what that did for me was it was just so unbelievable because it was like, here is a leader who, a woman leader who didn't fold for her husband, which think about how often that happens, right? It's like you've got somebody who's like super powerful, super amazing, you know, just like somebody that everybody trusts to be, you know, somebody who who can take the 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 weight of an entire community of people on her shoulders. But then when it comes to love, she almost always folds, right? I mean, you know, if, if we talk about, like, Wonder Woman and Justice League, how, like, I mean, there's this scene, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but, you know, yeah. in, in Justice League, oh, okay, well, so there's this scene, basically, so, you know, Wonder Woman is, like, in love with, you know, um, uh, Chris Pine's character, right? And... Uh, in Justice League, there's a scene where Batman is telling her, like, oh, like, you were heartbroken and we didn't see you for years. So what have you exactly been doing as a superhero, essentially? You know? And, like, I thought back to that because I was like, you know, Okoye was like, I love you, but I have a commitment and I, I have almost like an oath, right? Right. It's like I have an oath to Wakanda. And I'm not willing to break that for anyone, not even you. And I thought that it was an interesting kind of uh, an interesting play to see her be a traditionalist as a warrior who's like completely unwilling to um, to like embrace like guns or any other any other kind of like uh, uh, non Wakandian um, technology, but then also be somebody who is like just so advanced, right, in terms of like who she thinks of herself as a leader. I don't know. Is that, is, I don't know if that's like politically correct to say for her to be so advanced as a leader that she wouldn't let anything or any one personal get in her way. And I'm realizing as I'm saying that, that that might be gendered because would I say that about a man? But anyway, well, I think what's, well, I think what's interesting there is that like, whether we're going to see it or not, there is a repurposing of masculinity there for uh-huh. this strong female character. Like, I, if I think of just in the recent, <laughs> the near recent past, like, I look at, like, the movie Fury or the movie Saving Private Ryan or I think of the movie, like, ex- as extreme as, like, 300 and it's all these men going to war and fighting for their country, for their because they are patriots and they believe in something greater and they leave their women at home and they everybody knows they love their their wives or their their partners back at home but they have to fight for their country or for what they believe in and they will sacrifice everything for that patriotism and that belief 
I mean, that's how we've been conditioned to look at masculinity. It's severely patriotic Uh and severely sacrificial. But then to see it so immediately repurposed by, uh, in this character, like an African woman who is the strongest, most brave woman and just say, yeah, uh, love is neat, but my country comes first. And to completely turn that on itself is fantastic as it is fascinating. Let's talk about family. Right. Let's talk about family. Like, how did you kind of interpret like T'Challa's bond to his family? We've got the mom. We've got, you know, Eric Killmonger. Spoiler alert is his cousin. So, like, you know, how 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 are we thinking about that? I don't know. Like, I think my experience with it, which was very, uh, it was very subliminal, as it much as it was in your face, in the sense that. Instead of like T'Challa, Black Panther, being you know this universal hero who's going to make all the outright decisions for the greater good and just with, reign with a gavel in his hand and shoot from his hip and just make the best decisions, like it was without a doubt a family coming together. Whether it was uh-huh. his immediate family of him, his sister Shuri, or his mother, who's played by Angela Bassett, um, whether it's the you know his team in in the government with a with um, Okoye, the greatest you know warrior. No, it's just all of it. Wakanda was a family unit, and they were sacrificing for each other, and and they were making decisions on behalf of one another. And it was all a family. And to see what a community was built on these ideas and on sacrifice was fascinating. Agreed, agreed. And I think uh, I mean one of the things that stands out to me is. You know, like the family, not necessarily being like the nuclear family, right? But being the family of like Wakanda and, you know, specifically when they go and seek Mbaku's help in the mountains, right? Like how, like how it's a moment of reckoning because it's been hundreds of years since they've, you know, since any any Wakandan has come up there, you know, um, but then the moment of coming together, right, for, for the greater good, which speaks to the unity and and honestly it's no wonder right that eric killmonger is so mad honestly i mean this is like somebody who who is is thought of as being the villain right and it's interesting because Perry michael b jordan talk about it he talks about um how he's not a uh how eric killmonger is not a villain but an antagonist and i think Real quick, a lot of times when he was talking, I w- couldn't focus because he had such cool hair and his fucking shoulders oh were so huge. I was like, ah, Michael B. Jordan, what are you saying? Ah, I don't care. I just want to look at you. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm so sad that he cut his hair because, I mean, he looked so good. <laughs> I mean, he looked like really some, good. like, 21 Savage, yeah. like, Migos ripoff dude, which I'm not mad at, but he was still cool as shit. <laughs> Migos no, whatever. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? I mean, for me, you know, this is sidebar here. I had moments where I was trying to think of, you know, T'Challa slash Chadwick Boseman and then Eric Kelmonger slash Michael B. Jordan. I was like, you know, who is the boo? Who is my boo in this situation? Am I trying to boo up Eric or Michael B. Jordan or Chadwick Boseman? You know, something came up for me in terms of the way that they're that their that their masculinity is expressed. I mean, is so sensible. He's so sensible, so wise, and so 
just in touch, right? He's in touch with leadership. He's in touch with what it means to sacrifice, you know, that kind of like traditional type of masculinity that we were just talking about, right? And then also there's like the sensibility of like he knows when to ask for help. He knows when to let himself be contributed to. He knows to seek counsel, which is amazing. I mean, that's kind of what you want in a leader. And what I what I really see as a contrast to Eric Tomonger is that T'Challa has had support his whole life. He's been groomed to be king his whole life. Now, you look at Eric Killmonger, and it's his cousin, also of royal blood, not knowing, though, going through the trauma of having his father killed at a very young age, and, and that trauma not being attended to. They left him in Oakland. They didn't bring him back to Wakanda with everybody else, right? And it's kind of like, you know, a perfect... Uh, representation and manifestation of what Yuval Moses was talking about, right, from the private victims treatment center, of what happens when trauma is unattended to. Because, I mean, really what we see is not just the trauma, and Eric Kamonger, what we see is not just the trauma of 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 the, the passing of his father, of the murder of his father, but also the trauma of systemic oppression. And knowing that you've got a whole land of your own folks who are deliberately keeping resources that we know could be of huge help and, and, and obviously revolutionary and a complete game changer for your people who you grew up with and your circumstances. So I just thought that was like a really, and you know, and of course that, that masculinity, his, his performance in masculinity, right, shows up as like, just like ripe anger and like distrust and uh, authoritarianism, essentially. I think a lot of like storytelling that we 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 turn to like doesn't give the villain an opportunity to have a story or to have like such a tragic conflict in themselves that makes them to be the what we call the villain. And that was a just another especially profound part of this tale and what we saw on screen, even though it wasn't given as much time as T'Challa's story or the whole story of Wakanda, Killmonger's did come from such a systemically tragic and violent past. And he, uh-huh. and what was so powerful is that I can't, like, the resonance that that will have on the communities here in America to draw on and to understand and to, f- under, to be seen as they are being seen and like to have that like be as they see Killmonger and it's they're always told that they're the bad ones and as Killmonger is told he is the bad one to finally understand that you can call me the bad one but to see the trauma I come from and understand what the oppression is and understand the violence and the fatherlessness and the death and the murder and then then brutally have no sympathy for me then let's talk see we know where he's coming from there's no, there's no, there's no, like, confusion about that. And I think, you know, I feel like it's, you know, it's Marvel, right? Because it's like, he has to have an angle where we can't just allow him to do what there is to be done. But really, I mean, I talked to a lot of folks and I, and I you know, somewhat agree that, you know, on some level, that's kind of what is needed to overturn the tide, right? Like this oppression that's been going on for centuries, like, you know, is is that what's needed just to, you know, like, put, put, like, like an overthrow, 
you know, and I think that what had to happen in this case was that he had to be like there had to be like a like an authoritarianism again and and this performance of just violent control, I think that that so so that it wouldn't be acceptable for for Eric Killmonger to be the hero, but I think that most of us know that you know to a very large degree that he he kind of is so. I mean, what did you think about, I mean, this podcast is called Masculinity, so what did you think about a lot of the, even, not even just the male characters, because we talk about this in Okoye as well, but what about, like, masculinity and, uh, to quote our good friend Spike Lee, like, do the right thing? That association between masculinity and doing the right thing. But when it comes to doing the right thing, I think that, again, T'Challa has been groomed his whole life to be a, a king who is who is concerned for his people, who is concerned, who is, who is basically going to do, who's going to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed in order for things to happen. And I think that that's, you know, kind of like in the realm of doing the right thing. Now, you know, the right thing by whom? Really by Wakanda, right? But then eventually, I guess in the end, we, we see how he's willing to open up Wakanda to the rest of the world, and so I guess we'll see, you know, in, in next installments what doing the right thing actually looks like. Because again, I mean, I think that you know, the only way to really do the right thing, for real, for real, is gonna have to include some of Eric Killmonger's goals and objectives in terms of in terms of that. So, uh, what did you think about King T'Chaka, Black Panther? T'Challa's father, like his goal of doing the right thing and his going about doing the right thing? That, for me, was... It was conflicting because here we have, you know, somebody who is, you know, he's like a politician and, like, goes in front of the UN and talks about, you know, what the future looks like for Africa and all of these things, and it's like, you know, you left your nephew, like, you left him after killing his father. So it's, like, it's hard for me to... And, like, you know, I'm having the same kind of reaction that T'Challa had at the end when he found out that all went down. You know, it's, like, you went about doing the right thing, but you still protected your own interests above those of somebody who is completely, like, just powerless, does not have what it takes to defend himself as a young boy. And so, you know, I think that, you know, there's, like, this... this interesting generational thing with T'Chaka and T'Challa, right? Because it's like we're dealing with the tradition of, you know, keeping Wakanda to Wakandans and keeping Wakanda's these resources certainly to Wakandans. And I think that, you know, to our point about masculinity, there was this notion that that should be protected at all costs and that there was not to be any kind of... Um, like, understanding, you know, like, the, the, the kids' leadership and doing the right thing is very much nested in, in like, a traditionalist way of thinking. Like, I'm going to do what I think is best and everybody else needs to fall in line. Whereas I feel like really with T'Challa, he is open to counsel, understanding that he's king, but also understanding that it, it's a team effort and it requires unity. So. No, I, I think you're really speaking to something there. I mean, we don't get much you know, screen time with young T'Chaka, but it seems like, and that an older masculinity, which I, I think we're, we're slowly starting to chip at, is that 
you know, I am the hero as a man. I have to make the decisions. I have to be strong. I can't communicate or I can't be vulnerable to other people's thoughts or ideas. Like, it's all about me and I am the hero. And what we see with T'Challa is, and, you know, like you said, it's a generational thing. And hopefully this is a generational thing for the good that we see in the film. Is, yeah, that he is open to his counsel. And not just his counsel, but like we said earlier, this is a family. So he's open to his family. And it's not just about him making the right decision, but it's about them all together as a community, as a family, as strong women and as strong sisters and as even frustrated uh, M'Baku on the, on the mountain with his men. Even when they're at your most frustrated, you can come together and learn from one another and work together. Uh, as a family unit and it's not about one man being a hero and one being a man being a hero against another man but it's a coming together and serving one another i mean altruistically as heroes together agreed and actually can we just shout out to uh mbaku's and uh the Javari's hack actually having women warriors like one of the things that i was having a moment with like in the scene where everybody's fighting or whatever was like how like um, uh, Okoye's husband, I forget his name, um, uh, I think it's, um, I don't know. But anyway, how, you know, it was more the guys, right? Hot, was, was it Wakabi? Yeah. Yeah, Wakabi, right. Um, it was mostly guys, right? And then when, uh, Mbaku and, like, you know, the Jabari come down, how one of the first or second, like, the first or second image is that of, like, a woman warrior just whooping the shit out of somebody. And I was like, yes. I love it. And, like, I think, you know, it really just really kind of, kind of comes together in the sense that, like, you know, this, like, responsibility, right, of men doing the right thing, of men saving the world, really just gets thrown on its head in this movie. Like, it's just, it's a time and time again, you know, it's like a team effort on all levels. And uh, I just, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you know, the representation of thoughtful leadership on the thought of, on, on the part of T'Challa, like really kind of really stepping into what it looks like nowadays to have holistic, have a holistic approach to being a ruler and letting himself understand that, you know, some things were done incorrectly or like things were done that, that didn't make sense and, and certainly left people behind and like him actually like, taking that on for us to see uh, in the future. Like, I just want to take a quick aside. I want to talk to my friend Donald Glover out there, um, a.k.a. Gambino. And I'm like, Donald Glover, look, I know you're about to drop Atlanta Season 2, but for Atlanta Season 3, if we can throw Winston Duke, a.k.a. M'Baku, in there, whether he's a few (laughs) cameo spots or whether he's, like, a, a supporting role, I don't give a shit. He's fucking funny as shit. He's going to be great. He's already, like, becoming a movie star. Get him on fucking Atlanta, all right? He's, okay, so I have a thing with that, but we could, I don't know. We could talk about that off air. I don't know. I'm not as into M'Baku. I, I'm, I'm into the character of M'Baku. I'm not as into Winston Duke as everybody else is. I got to say. I feel like women are, like, fanning themselves over him, and maybe dudes, too. You know, I just haven't talked to them about it. But I just, like, I don't, I don't really see it. He's really tall, though. I think he's, like, 6'5", which I'm obviously into. But anyway. And that's not what you were saying. I took that a different direction. That's fine. Um, yeah. Atlanta, March 1st. And, good. you know, uh, second aside, look, I don't know if there's like a uh, like a fucking award category for like best supporting supporting actor, but 
Sterling K. Brown needs to win that award. Like when either like three seconds he's in the movie, the things he does with his face and the emotion he conveys, like the spectrum of emotion he conveys. Wait, like, Sterling who? K. Brown, he plays Najobu, the uncle in Oakland who gets killed by his brother. Oh, right. Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, he... give this, Just give this man more TV. Give him more movies. Give him more awards. Like Sterling K. Brown is, is a G. And that's... this Like... I was just blown away by the five seconds he was on. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Everybody came out. Actually, yesterday I was walking on Court Street uh, in in Brooklyn, and, uh, yeah, there was, like, a big-ass line. I think it was, like, I don't know, like, 4 or something or 5.30, and there was, like, a huge line of just, like, hella black folks lining the, the, the sidewalk, and I was like, oh, my God, Black Panther. Uh, it was amazing. And I want to address something, okay, because I really think that, People are taking this as an opportunity to talk a lot of shit. And I just want to say, there's a lot of people, it has been interesting actually to see the haters, but what I want to say is there's a lot of folks who are coming out and saying things about like white people going to see Black Panther. Okay. And I want to be very clear that everybody needs to go see Black Panther because what's the point of having these amazing images and these amazing uh, conversations and, and there's so many questions and so much representation, all of that. It's like, why would only black folks want to see that? Everybody needs to see that. It's about recreating the, the narrative. Now, when you go, be respectful. Don't be an asshole. You know what I'm saying? But everybody needs to go see this movie. Everybody needs to go see this movie. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't argue that. I mean, I think in a, in a point where we tend to silo ourselves off or silo each other off into groups and categories and we just tend to argue with one another if we're going to really try to find solutions and you know reform our society we can't we can't just completely wall each other off and i think you're really onto something about everybody being respectful of one another as humans and especially when entertaining this movie whether you're from the african-american community whether you're from you know the traditional what we call white community or anybody in between like you go to this movie and you enjoy the entertaining value that is this movie and how fun it is and how exciting it is and how much of an adventure it is but you also can digest some of that subtext and then take from that and look upon yourself and start having conversations with one another that are respectful and thoughtful and maybe at times challenging for you and Uh everyone else and that's the power of like what these movies can be. And thank God we have a reason to go to the movies again and have such a conversation. Because yeah, real I talk, know. I hadn't I'm, been, I hadn't gone to the movie oh. theater in what I don't know, weeks, months, years. Who didn't cared to go into a movie theater? I'm just gonna chill on Netflix, like we already know. And actually, let me just correct myself. I do understand why this movie would be amazing for just black folks to go see it. I do understand that. I mean, representation all day, every day, and the representation of. This can be a model for the representation of powerful, powerful, powerful gender unity. And I think that, you know, for that alone, like, this movie has been has been amazing. All right, folks. So, I mean, if you haven't seen Black Panther, I'm not sure what you're doing. I think you should get off Fandango. Go, go on some website. Get your ticket. Do what you got to do because this is unbelievable. Um, again, if you have any kind of questions, any thoughts, you agree, disagree, we say we would love to hear what you have to say about Wakanda. 
you know, for me, it's Wakanda Forever. I'm pretty sure for the Wakanda Forever. Forever, right? Hashtag, um, hashtag. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, you can find us at Masculinity Pod on Twitter. That's Masculinity with a K. Uh, Masculinity Podcast on Facebook. Please shoot us any kind of email that you want at masculinitypodcast at whoisbo.com. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, this is like one of the greatest moments. So, we want to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, guys, keep this conversation alive. I hope we're doing a good job of highlighting where we intersect with masculinity all throughout our culture and our society. And if we aren't, or if you don't believe so, give us a shout. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Um, you know, be sure to leave us some reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the whole nine. Um, so thank you guys for listening. My name is Nephis My name is Ramoy George. Sometimes I dream I'm Michael B. Jordan in my uh, dreams. Philip. Okay. And this has been Masculinity. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Peace.